it's not hard to be overly concerned about the Islanders' fortunes. A second straight playoff miss would not bode well. I got a real issue with that guy. Uh, no, I like him as a person, uh, Ruslan. I just can't pronounce his name. His screaming Buffalo probably hates my guts. Newsday presents the Island Ice Podcast with Andrew Gross. And welcome to Island Ice, episode 152 of Newsday's New York Islanders podcast. Folks, strap on your seatbelts. We might be in for a bumpy ride here as the Islanders are getting inconsistent results while consistently showing what they need to improve. Hi, I'm Andrew Gross of Newsday. I'm on Twitter at agrossnewsday, and I'll try and guide you through some of the turbulence knocking around the Islanders right now. The Islanders are completing a season-high five-game homestand on Wednesday night uh, against the NHL Best Bruins, and we'll discuss what we've seen from the 1-1-2 and start to the homestand and where that places the Islanders in their playoff chase. There's also a conversation with Cal Clutterbuck about what drives him and how he's approaching uh, what we might call the back nine of his career, Cal being a uh, devoted golf player and a really good golf player as well. But uh, uh, we'll call it the back nine of his career at age 35. And of course, plenty of your questions for Andrew's answers. But uh, I I want to start out acknowledging a, a trio of personal Losses to the Islanders family, uh, former enforcer Gino Ochik, who spent the bulk of his career with the Vancouver Canucks, but became a fan favorite at Nassau Coliseum as he played parts of three seasons uh, with the Islanders. He, he died way too young at 52 on Sunday. Uh, Roberto Borzami, who is the Coliseum's Iceman and a, a friend to so many at the arena for four decades, passed away last week and finally retired WRHU Radio Hofstra University General Manager Bruce Avery, who played a large role in the Islanders' radio broadcasts uh, before retiring. He passed away Saturday at 69, and uh, longtime Islanders radio play-by-play announcer Chris King knew them all, but I, I specifically talked to Kinger about Gino Ochik's time with the Islanders. The best way to describe him would be Gentle Giant. I mean, just a, a hulking, large man, but yet the heart, uh, you know, just, just all heart, all heart, and always smiling, always laughing. Always had a, you know, a good word to, to say about everyone, and everyone loved him. And uh, you know, on the ice, there might not have been a more feared player at that time, and in the room, there probably wasn't a more loved player. So uh, I think it's the heart is the thing that really stood out to me most about Gino Ojic. He, um, obviously, he had a reputation. He had been in the league for quite some time before coming here. Was there any kind of what's coming into this room? <laughs> I'm sure he'd beaten up a few of the guys he was... He was you know, joining originally, yeah, for sure. And you know, uh, you know, we've talked about this before, just you and I, Andrew. It seems like those tough guys, those enforcers, 
tend to be the guys that when you get to know them are the kindest, most gentle, you know, players off the ice. But certainly when he first arrived, um, you know, and he'd been on a very good Vancouver team for many, many years, and the Islanders were struggling in the late 90s when he arrived. So uh, you knew the reputation and everything, but once you got to know him and there was just something about that smile, he had the, the, the one missing tooth up front, so it was the toothless grin, and uh, he would always flash it at you. He would be the kind of guy that if you were interviewing him, he would throw his arm around you just to, you know, to make his point, to chat with you, and just always had fun with the media uh, but yeah when he first came I, I was the same way because I'd, I'd seen what he'd done all those years in Vancouver and uh, even you know with his time with the Islanders he became a fan favorite but I think it really hit home when we went back to Vancouver mm-hmm. and you know you know how good those teams were for Vancouver in the yeah, mid 90s yeah, and sure. the superstars they had he was I think more beloved than almost anybody on those Canuck teams so when we would return to Vancouver with him the reaction that he would get from the fans, the signs, the chants, the, the, the cheering, just seeing him walk through that arena and, and what he meant to, you know, Vancouver and even just the workers in the building. We, we saw, you know, the love that they had for him, which we developed with him eventually, too. But you really saw that he meant so much more, uh, you know, to the team and to the community with everything that he was involved in. Hey, you mentioned he became a fan favorite here, right? Um how quickly does that happen? I mean, because fans gravitate to yeah. the guys who protect right. their own, right? Yeah. Um, but, it, you know, how, how quickly do you feel like he, he was in, incorporated into the fabric? I, I think it was pretty quick because, again, the, the Islander teams in the late 90s were really struggling. So fans were looking for somebody to grab onto identity-wise, right? And here was this guy that was just ferocious on the ice, but yet you couldn't find a nicer, funnier man off the ice. So I, I think that's the reason that he became such a quick fan favorite is people would watch his interviews and see the big smile and the laughs and giving the hugs to the media members. And, and uh, I, I think it happened pretty quickly for him, as it did, you know, even even if it stops after the Islanders. I know, I remember talking with him about Montreal, which was, was you know, the, his home province, and, and just seeing the fun he was having as a Montreal Canadian, <laughs> where, you know, now they had one, you know, from their own province that was this big, tough guy that, that it was just a gentle giant, though. So uh, he, he, he quickly, uh, you know, turned Islander fans from maybe fans that didn't like him or didn't understand him to, hey, this is now one of my favorite players to watch every night. What was his best fight as an Islander? Oh, my goodness. I don't know. I think there's just too many. Yeah, you, you, can't, you can't single out one. <laughs> one but there was just it was just so many but it got to the point Andrew I think you know almost like no one wanted to take him on anymore because he was just so feared and uh, I think he had more fights I would say early on in his career before people understood just how tough a combatant he was if you were you know brave enough courageous enough to drop the gloves with him you were really going to be in for a tussle so uh, but just the way he would always flash the smile it was the big toothless grin that stayed with me more than anything even after the fights were over he would you know he would skate to the penalty box and there would be that big smile on his face you know it's uh, the way you describe Describe him. Sort of sounds like Stano Char, right? In, in, in just the, you know the, the gentleman like nature yes. and the, but also being feared on the ice. Yes, obviously Z had a lot more skill that yeah. was the, you know, than Gino did. But from that feared aspect, absolutely. Yeah. That I mean, think about who really would drop the gloves with Stano Char in the yeah. prime of his career. No one. So in that regard, I would say yeah. Mm-hmm. But uh, Z had a lot more skill and uh, a lot more leadership than Gino. But from the feared department, I would agree with you that those were two guys that nobody wanted to tangle. Well, I was going to say they they intersected early in Z's career. Yes. Here. Yeah. Right. right and yeah. I'm just yeah. curious. Yeah. yeah that's I'm true. like wondering how much Z picked up from yeah. Gino. Yeah. It'd be interesting. It'd be you know you should get in touch with him and ask him about it because he might have you know bonded with him over that the fact that they were both just towering figures who nobody wanted to mess with at that time. Yeah. <laughs> right. yeah.
again, deepest condolences to all of their families. All three uh, will be sorely missed. Uh, as for the on-ice product, well, it's not hard to be overly concerned about the Islanders' fortunes after a 4-3 overtime loss to the Capitals on Monday. Uh, the Islanders couldn't hold a three-goal lead early in the second period in that painful loss. Painful because instead of instead of still holding on to the second wild card spot and moving uh, just one point behind the Capitals for the first wild card spot with the game in hand, all which would have happened uh, had they won in regulation, uh, the Islanders instead got passed by the Penguins, who have played two fewer games, and they fell four points behind the Capitals. Uh, the, the Islanders still have three more games against both the Capitals and Penguins, and I, I, I'd say the Islanders might need to win four or five of those six games against the Capitals and Penguins in regulation. Uh, none of these three-point games. Uh, they need regulation wins against these uh, divisional and uh, wild card and playoff uh, rivals here, uh, perhaps to make the postseason. And uh, uh, the the loss also dropped the Islanders to three and four in overtime games, uh, a two one shootout loss to the Stars to open the homestand left them zero and three in shootouts, and, and that's seven seven valuable points that have been left by the wayside, and those are points that could well determine whether the Islanders qualify for the playoffs or, or miss them for the second straight season. And we've talked all along about how this season, uh, once Lou Lamarillo uh, opted to uh, uh, relieve Barry Trotz of his duties and, and, and the faith and the loyalty Lou Lamarillo has shown to this core, all of that means this is a referendum, as we keep saying, on Lou Lamarillo and his leadership uh, on the Islanders. And uh, look, a, a second straight playoff miss would not bode well, uh, I, I would think, for Lou, certainly. Um, last season, the Islanders were 3-10 and ten in overtimes and 2-6 and six in shootouts. Uh, they missed the playoffs last season by 16 points, so it certainly wasn't just losing in overtime and shootouts that doomed them last season. We've been over what did. But look, despite all the Islanders went through last season, if they had, had if they had done better after regulation, they would have been a lot closer to a playoff spot. I don't think they would have gotten in, but it, it could have been a lot more interesting down the stretch. And uh, it, it, I, to me, it, it, three and four in overtimes and zero oh and three in in shootouts. That's it's a really bad sign uh, to me going forward as to which side the Islanders might fall in uh, when it comes to qualifying for the playoffs or not. They they have to wind up getting those second points more often. And meanwhile, the Islanders scored just seven goals in the homestand's first four games, and and Coach Lane Lambert was asked after the loss to the Capitals whether his team has enough finishers to be efficient offensively. And uh, I'll give you Lambert's direct quote here. He said, quote, absolutely. We've been creating opportunities. There are certain guys that have been in droughts and they'll come out of them. Um, so who is Lane Lambert talking about? Well, among the top nine forwards, Brock Nelson, uh, their all-star, 
has gone 13 games without a goal. Josh Bailey is without a goal in nine games. Jean-Gabriel Pajot, uh, his goal drought is now at six games after the Capitals' uh, loss. Anthony Beauvillier has one goal in 10 games. Anders Lee has two goals in nine games. Across the board, it's it's just not enough. Uh, simply not good enough. And, and Lambert, Lane Lambert mentioned before the Islanders got their lone win in the first four games of the homestand, a, a 2-1 victory over the last place Canadians, uh, a win that looks a little bit better because the Canadians went into the garden, uh, Madison Square Garden the next day and beat the Rangers by that score. But a- after beating the uh, the Canadians 2-1, uh, Lane Lambert said, uh, or before the game, Lane Lambert was commenting on how his players were squeezing their sticks, all too aware of the scoring struggles. The, the solution, Lane Lambert said, is more pucks on net and more traffic at the crease. And in a positive note here, uh, if you look at both of the Islanders' goals they scored against the Canadians, and if you look at all three of the goals they scored against the Capitals, those those five goals were scored exactly by the formula that Lane Lambert uh, kind of uh, blueprinted there. That the problem is was it's still not enough and. I wrote in my Islanders Sunday Insider, um, but it, it seems painfully clear, at least to me, that it, it, it's incumbent on Lou Lamarillo to acquire a scoring wing for this team, to, to help out uh, the, the core that he so resolutely believes in. Uh, the core is aging out, and this season truly may be its last best chance to make any sort of noise in the playoffs provided the Islanders can qualify. And, and, and to qualify, they, they need to, to bolster their roster, in my, in my opinion. And, and that, to me, means bringing in a scoring wing, if, if not also uh, a left-handed defenseman. Although the priority right now would be a little bit of scoring help up front. Now, also of note in that Capitals loss, was Alexander Ovechkin's hit on Jean-Gabriel Pajot in the second period, with the Islanders still up 3-0. And whether it was dirty or not, and the NHL and the on-ice officials on Monday both ruled that it was not a dirty hit. Um, the Islanders seemed uh, to think otherwise, which, which is also natural. Um, so regardless of whether it was dirty or not, the Islanders let... Ovechkin's hit on Pajot become a turning point in the game. Pajot uh, did return later in the second period after presumably clearing concussion protocol, um, given how wobbly he was uh, when he tried to get to his skates. But by the time Pajot got back, the Capitals had closed to within 3-2. And I get that Alexander Ovechkin is a big boy. He's a very physical player who stands up for himself. But not a lot of the Islanders' hits were directed at Ovechkin after he left Pajot wobbling, um, as Noah Dobson kind of helped him up and helped him towards the bench. Matt Martin did have 10 hits in that game and a big bloody fat lip, uh, but nobody really stood up to Ovechkin after that hit after that hit. And Lane Lambert's postgame presser included the coach being asked about that lack of a response and whether or not the Islanders, as I mentioned before, have enough finishers 
in their lineup. Now, as to whether uh, you know Lambert saw it as a lack of a response to Ovechkin, Lambert cited, you know, he said, yeah, no, he, he there was a response. He uh, he mentioned Matt Martin's ten hits. Um, but Lambert, of course, also did bring up the scoring droughts, as I, I mentioned earlier, um, though he insisted there are finishers on the team. And look, Lane Lambert really can't respond any other way to that question without really pointing the proverbial finger at Lou Lamorello, his boss, which he's not going to do. But for those keeping it score, uh, for those keeping score at home, on this homestand, Lane Lambert has been questioned about whether or not the Islanders are displaying enough urgency, whether or not the Islanders have enough finishers in their lineup, and whether or not they can protect their own well enough. And uh, to get those sort of questions at this time of the year, uh, look, you know, I, I don't think you want to cite the media for, you know, the media certainly doesn't want to drive the story. Uh, we want to report the story. Um, but when questions like that come up, I, I, I'm telling you, it, it's the media reacting to what they're seeing, uh, you know, not trying to poke the bear. And the fact that the media has seen fit to ask these type of questions all within, you know, a couple of games of each other, it, it really isn't a good look or a good soundbite, what, whatever you want to call it. Um, I, I think it's, it's, a, it's a pretty decent take on the perception of the Islanders uh, and where they are and perhaps the perception of the Islanders around the league as well. And yet, we're not talking about a team whose season is long over. Uh, this is obviously being recorded after that disappointing loss to the Capitals, uh, but before the homestand finale against the NHL best Boston Bruins, which is the start of a back-to-back that also includes a game in Buffalo against the offensively potent Sabres. The first place Hurricanes come to town on Saturday. There's a trip to Toronto and Ottawa before back-to-back home games against the Red Wings and uh, the Vegas Golden Knights. So a lot of hockey left even before that bye week slash all-star break. The Islanders uh, for, for, you know, and they, as I speak, they have the same 50 points as the Pittsburgh Penguins. They've just played two, uh, two extra games over the Penguins, but the Islanders still have a, a good majority of their own destiny in their own hands. And look, I'm not breaking news here. It, it really is maybe simply a matter of putting together winning streaks, not just singular wins. And, you know, defenseman Adam Pellick and right-wing Kyle Palmieri may rejoin the team before the All-Star uh, break. And it both continue skating with the team. Adam Pellick joined, uh, you know, line rushes and worked on the penalty kill uh, before the Capitals game at the morning skate as he continues to make these progressions. He, he appears to be ahead of Kyle Palmieri. Uh, as we speak, Kyle Palmieri has been skating with the team a little bit longer, but he has yet to join the line rushes. Um, Pellick's been out since December 6th with a suspected head injury. 
Paul Mary has been out of the lineup since uh, December 16th, uh, also with a possible head injury, although I, I'm not quite as sure of that as, as I am with Adam Pellick. Um, both will help the lineup when they come back, and Pellick would likely come in uh, for Parker Weatherspoon. Uh, Kyle Palmieri would almost uh, it would very likely come in for Simon Holmstrom. And uh, look, injuries have certainly pay, played a part for the Islanders this season. And, and I wound up having a chat with Cal Clutterbuck before the Capitals game uh, on that subject. Cal has obviously been through his share and that that that's in large part and parcel because of how Cal Clutterpuck plays this game, how he has to play this game, how he wants to play the game. So we, we, we talk about all of that and the injuries and his appreciation for hockey and playing hockey at age 35. And we also discuss the, the concept of the extreme competitiveness that, that that not only gets Cal Clutterbuck to this level, but pretty much everyone in the NHL. Uh, It's what separates them from other people who may have the skill, but don't have that drive. So here's Cal Clutterbuck on how all of that fuels him. You know, we we talked a little bit about adjusting, you know, as you get a little bit older. Uh What what do you notice, you know, you have to do differently at this point? Uh, I haven't really done much differently. Um, You know, injuries, especially these ones, are not really preventable. So, you know, be a little more worried if I had injuries of, like, wear and tear and stuff like that, it hasn't been the case, so I haven't really changed a whole lot, like said, uh, maybe in my off-season routine I don't lift as heavy as I used to, but that's been like the last five years, so uh, I haven't changed much. I, I'm not to be maudlin about it, but do you, I mean, do you, are you appreciating this a little bit, you know, more and more, you know, at this point? Um, just, you mean like, just playing? Just playing, yeah. Um... I probably could do a more appreciating, honestly. Um, there are times when I I can appreciate, but you know, it's sometimes being hurt consistently is also frustrating. So yeah. it's hard to uh, live in both worlds. But you know, I try to remind myself as much as possible. And um, you know, when this is all said and done, I don't want to kind of look back and regret not really taking it my last uh, my last little while for sure so I'm, I'm working on it yeah like I said not to, to be more about it no, know, no no I mean you still got you still got time ahead of you yeah, yeah. <laughs> we, let's hope so yeah <laughs> You know, like I know what what it's like as a, as a person. You know, I'm not putting my body through these types of strains, but yeah. I notice things from day to yeah. day. Does it feel accelerated, especially the way you play? You know, <laughs> that, that that things just hurt a little bit more. Yeah, I've always, I don't know, things have always hurt a little bit. You know, yeah. um, there's a difference between injuries and and bumps and bruises, uh, and. Uh, you know, I think the bumps and bruises you can deal with. The injuries are a different breed, and the longer they linger, the more annoying they get. So, but you know, as far as 
as far as soreness goes and, and my body moving physically, I don't feel much different. Yeah. You still, I mean, you still just love it. Like the, you, you talked about, you know, the contact and, like, how, how enjoyable is it to just lay a forecheck on it and know it has an impact still? Yeah, it's, well, I don't really think of it that way. Um, it's just something that I... Um, that I do. I don't know. It's hard to explain. I, I just do it. I, I uh, it's it's always sort of been my mentality is, uh, and it's not a mentality that I think about. It's just like innately, like what what my response, my autonomous nervous response is to when a puck goes in, I just go after it, you know. And uh, and um, there's a, there's some there's some enjoyment in, in doing it successfully for sure, you know. Um, but uh, I, it still feels the same, you know. Yeah. I still look at it the same way. Yeah. I, have I asked you, like, when, when you were a kid, like, do you remember that feeling the first time you knew you made an impact that way, and, and, and what that what that was like? It was the first shift of the first game. We were allowed contact, and uh, we were playing a, a team from the U.S. that, that hadn't. They were delayed a year or two in, in allowing contact. So when we'd play on our side of the border, there'd be contact. When we'd play on their side of the border, there'd be no contact. So they came to us, and uh, I hit a kid really, really hard in the first shift. And I think from that moment on, I was like, oh, yeah. that was fun. <laughs> How old, like 10, 11? 8, 9. 8, 9? Yeah, yeah, 10, something like that. Um, were you a chirper back then too? I've always just been very competitive, so yeah, uh, yeah. probably worse then than I am now. What? Like I know how competitive you are in this setting. Do you find that even more so, like in golf or? Like oh, golf? everywhere. Yeah, everywhere. Yeah, I'm just. I am. Yeah, I don't like losing. <laughs> I can be very petty, <laughs> but I don't like losing. I just don't, and I wish you know. Part of me wishes that I had a little more, a little less of that, but well, then I think about it and I'm like... But, I mean, no joke, I mean, you might not be here, right? Well, oh, that's right, yeah. I mean, and, and that's not just you, that's a lot right. of guys in right. this room. Like, I don't think people understand the level of competitive drive that you kind of need, you know, not only to get here, but to be here consistently. Like, it, it takes a hatred of, of losing to be able to do it. I mean, 82 games... Yeah. It's a long time, and then you start stacking those years together, and, you know, it's a lot. Really? So you, you need something driving you. <laughs> you, all, you always hear about athletes hate losing more than they like winning. It's true. Yeah. Yeah, so. it's true. <laughs> losing losing hurts more than winning will ever feel good. That's that's true. Yeah, that's <laughs> got you here. So. No, but yeah, and people won't understand that, but yeah. it's true. Uh, I hope you enjoyed that chat with Cal Clutterbuck, and now... It's time to hear what's on your mind. It's time for your questions with Andrew's Answers. So a lot of questions, um, a couple of comments as well. Obviously a lot of concern and, uh, you know, uh, obviously, look, uh, Twitter, you know, sometimes or a lot of the times tends to accentuate the, the negative and I get that. But uh, for for a vast majority uh, are these questions that I got. Now, I'm sorry if I didn't get to yours, if you did submit it. I, I've got a long list here. I'm trying to uh, get through as much as I can in a timely manner. But um, 
Look, I think there's a legitimacy to a lot of these questions coming up. And, and we'll start with Clarence screaming Buffalo Swamp Town. He says Josh Bailey isn't a first-line forward. Josh Bailey isn't a top-anything forward. Josh Bailey shows up when he wants, which isn't often. What is the organizational love affair with him? We are better when he sits, which isn't enough. And look, I, I know because I keep giving him this answer that, you know, there, there are little subtleties to Josh Bailey's game uh, that you know, his teammates love and his coaches love and that 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 does keep him in the lineup. But the, the the bigger point is the offensive production keeps going down and down and down and it, it it's becoming problematic. Um and uh you know the the Islanders for what they're paying Josh Bailey, um if if he's in the lineup and, and I'm not you know, I'm, I'm I'm singling Josh out here just because the question is about him or the comment, but and this applies to a lot of guys in the Islanders lineup. But it, it, more needs to happen, and if not, yeah, I, I I think the organization needs to make some kind of analytical decision going forward on on what makes them the best kind of team, but. Uh, let's see. Michael TV says, where is Oliver Wallstrom? And look, folks, I, I would say this. The Islanders have said he's out indefinitely with the lower body injury. Um, we all know what we thought we saw when Simon Holmstrom suffered that knee to knee collision. Um, and, and luckily for Simon Holmstrom, it turned out to not be what the severity of what we all thought it might be. Unfortunately, I think uh, that it, what we thought for Simon Holmstrom might be the case for Oliver Wallstrom. Uh, I, I think this is a really bad injury for the Islanders to be calling it uh, out indefinitely at this point. Um, they're, they're not saying whether he's out for the season or not, but if you ask me, I haven't seen Oliver Wallstrom around the team. If, if you ask me, I would say... There, there, there's certainly the chance that, that Wally's injury was a season-ending one. Um, John Flat, uh, let's see, just, uh, I got a few questions on the same topic, so I'm just going to rip them off here. John Flat says, it looks like it's time for a major rebuild. How many years could it reasonably take to rebuild this roster? Will Matthew Barzell and Ilya Sorokin see the benefits of a rebuild? Isles Cup 1 says, at what point do the Islanders consider a rebuild or at least a retool? It's been 100 games and less than mediocre play without standing goaltending masking it. Um, how much of the lack of options to move people is an issue? Cami uh, says says, is it time for a rebuild after this year? It feels like time's up for the cup run, and we have Barzell locked in for eight years, so if not now, when? Uh, L.I. Strong says, I know you have said over and over when asked about Lou making a trade that he has tried. He simply did not have or want to give up what it took to get said player, but what honestly is Lou's plan here? As a season ticket holder, I am fed up. Uh, Joseph uh, Datoma says, at what point is Lou going to be held responsible for not making this team better? The fact that he does not address or explain himself is ridiculous. Uh, Tehan Denk says, 
will Chris Lamarillo take over once Lou calls it quits? And uh, Michael, another Michael, says Lou doesn't do rebuilds, but do you think it's time the team goes in that direction? Um, so where do we go? Uh, look, if they don't make the playoffs this season, um, and maybe even if they do make the playoffs this season, I am not, I'm not opposed to this idea that uh, th- this might be the cores, or it should be the cores. Last, really, kick at the can, as it were. Um, it's going to be tough uh, if you're talking about a rebuild or a reload or tearing it down. It's going to be tough. There are some unmovable contracts here. Um, as I look down after this season, um, let's see. After this season, really, it- it's just Zach Parisi and Hudson Fashing. Uh, and Scotty Mayfield and Semyon Varlamov. They're, they're all uh, unrestricted free agents. But after the following season, so in the summer of 25, you're looking at the end of Josh Bailey's contract. You're looking at the end of Anthony Beauvillier's contract. You're looking at the end of uh, Clutterbuck's contract and Matty Martin's contract. And uh, you're also, well, Sebastian Ajo as well um, and Ilya Sorokin. So... Between this offseason and next season, there there is a chance to maybe start revamping uh, your core. Uh, you know, letting players walk, uh, bringing in maybe younger and cheaper players. Uh, as far as trades, I, I do think, you know, you, you do have some assets here if you really want to go that route. And I think any team in the league would be really interested in a, 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 a Brock Nelson. Even, you know, he's going to be, what, 32 next season? Uh, and he's got a, uh, well, he goes, yeah. Uh, you know, you're looking at him being an unrestricted free agent in the summer of 26. So uh, he would have two more seasons on his contract. I think you could get value for a Brock Nelson. I think you could get value for a Jean-Gabriel Pajot. Um, now both of them have modified, uh, no trade clauses, uh, but I, I, I think you could move those guys. And, uh, you know, honestly, if you talk about a rebuild, this is where it's going to have to start. Um, other teams are going to be calling about no adoption and you're going to have to, you know, offer up something else to get something. So, uh, you know, if you're talking about a rebuild and, and, and reloading, then, uh, you know, go that way. Um, what else did we uh, cover there? When is it time for a major rebuild? You know, I, as I said, I think after this season uh, is the time. How long could it reasonably take? Depends, uh, you know, how proactive you are. But, you you know, look, it took the Devils a long, long time to get to where they are uh, after uh, Lou Lamarillo left there. Um, you know, you're talking about Lou Lamarillo, Lamarillo leaving the Devils in, uh, in uh, what was it, 2015? And now we're in 2023. You would hope uh, any kind of rebuild would go quicker than that. And, you know, but it does, it does bring up the question of whether Matthew Barzell or Ilya Sorokin will, you know, will they still be in their primes when they see the benefits of a rebuild? And, and that's not necessarily a guarantee. The other question uh, was, oh, uh, will Chris Lamarillo take over once Luke calls it quits? And uh, uh, you got to tell me what the state is when Lou and, you know, Lou may not call it quits. Maybe he 
uh, agrees to just be president, gives up the GM chair. If that is the case, then yeah, I think Chris Lamarillo becomes the new GM. If the organizational ownership opts for its own rebuild, and you know the the belief is the strong belief is that Lou Lamarillo's contract expires after this season. Now, if ownership decides to go in a different direction, and look, I'll be honest, if they miss the playoffs. It's not going to shock me if ownership decides to go in a different direction. I'll say that right now. I, I don't think this is Lou Lamarillo's job until he decides it's not Lou Lamarillo's job. For as much as ownership says in Lou we trust, I, I think two playoff misses might force some action there. And if, and if they don't retain Lou Lamarillo, I don't think Chris takes over for a... Uh, as the GM, and I think they go in a completely new direction. Um, William Yermel asks, uh, knowing Lou, do you think Lane Lambert's job is in danger? And be honest with you, um, not quite yet. Um, <laughs> let me see how they do between now and the, uh, and the All-Star break. But, you know, if they're... If they're significantly under 500 by the time they get to, uh, in terms of the rest of these games, if they have a really, really bad January going into the All-Star break, um, that's that's lose one card to play here, isn't it? You know, and we've seen in the past he's played it. Um, a couple of questions here. Pragmatic uh, Idealist says, what is the Islanders' identity? And Phil Jewell says, what is the real direction of the team here? And uh, sort of the same question. And, you know, in years past, certainly before last season, you knew what the Islanders' identity was. They were a hardworking, hard forechecking team uh, that would kind of grind you down and win 3-2. And, uh, you know, they, they would just outwork you. And, and that's what they want their identity to be still, but it's not wrong to ask at this point because, you know, I don't know that they've been a team that has this identity yet. They haven't established it, um, and that's part of their problem. Uh, they know how they want to play. They know how they have to play. They haven't played like that consistently. And, and, you know, what is the real direction of the team here? Well, as I said, you know, they're having trouble establishing their identity and they're headed towards a rebuild if they can't. Um, Anthony J. Depperman says, why do teams wait until the deadline to make trades, uh, which could make your team better now and get a better get in a better position come postseason Lou make a hockey trade, get rid of Anthony Beauvillier, J.G. Pajot, Sebastian Ajo, and a second rounder for Bo Horvat. Bring in a scorer and bring up Atu Ratu. Um, and Ors says, do we have to wait for the deadline to get Patrick Kane? Chicago is obviously tanking. Get him now. And look, you know, a lot of work has to happen to bring in a Bo Horvat or a, a, a Patrick Kane, um, both, I think, would, would, would do really well for this lineup uh, if the Islanders could make them. I wouldn't say no to either player. Um, I don't know that, you know, uh, Bo, Peugeot, Ajo, and a second rounder, I don't know that that gets done for Bo Horvat. I, I think uh, Vancouver might 
look more towards a Ratu and, and a first-rounder, maybe with a, a Pajot or an Ajo. Um, you know, Vancouver may be thinking higher than that. And, and the reason teams usually wait until the deadline is that's when the price is best. Uh, if you're looking to make a trade right now, the prices are higher than they're going to be on March 3rd. So that's typically why more trades happen closer to the deadline. But I do agree, and I think I've said on a previous podcast that, you know, I, I'd prefer to see Lou be more proactive and make a deal sooner rather than later. Um, Dave Gorkowski says, what are the island, what, what are the Islanders doing to be better in the overtime and shootout? Anything. Can we give some other guys some looks? And, you know, they, they do do, uh, two on two, three on three drills in practice. Those are more battle drills. I think they do a lot of video on the overtimes. They, they obviously, you know, uh, they have their strategy of getting Matthew Barzell out second, second shift, um, maybe catch the first shift tired. Um, when you say, can we give some other guys some looks, uh, I, I don't, looking up and down the roster, I don't know who else on this roster you're really, you know, you really want to give overtime looks to, or, you know, or even shootout. Yeah. They, they're not very good in the shootout. They just aren't. They, they've proven that. And, it's not like they have that one guy on the uh, on the bench that they haven't discovered who is who is good. Um, let's see, Franz uh, Franz would like to see these lines: Anders Lee, Matthew Barzell, Simon Holmstrom, uh, which I believe has been used. Anthony Beauvillier, Brock Nelson, Josh Bailey has been used. Zach Parisi, uh, Pajot Fashing's been used. Martin Sasekis Clutterbuck's been used. So that's how uh, Franz wants him to settle. And he also wants Lane Lambert to put Brock and Barzell together in, or in overtime. Um, uh, not bad ideas, you know. Uh, you, you've seen these lines. They're really, you know, you can mix and match all you want, but if you're not scoring, you're not scoring, and there, there really isn't a magic elixir there. Uh, Jack Anton says uh, he's <laughs> he's doing a fake conversation here, but Jack Anton writes, Owners, full faith in Lou Lamarillo. Lou Lamarillo, I like this group. Lane Lambert, some guys are in a scoring drought. They'll come out of it. Uh, Jack Anton's comments are no accountability, no consequences, nothing's going to change, is it, Andrew? And I'm not so sure about that. I think, I, I think the, the, the team may be coming to a little bit of a breaking point if it, if it continues not to score and continues to struggle. Because putting everything together, uh, if this is Lou Lamarillo's final season on the contract, and if he sort of knows he's either playing for a job here or if he knows this is the way he's going to go out, he's going to make some moves. Uh, he has to. Um, so I wouldn't be so sure, so sure that nothing's going to change. Um, William Kosky says, at what point does Lou and or Lane acknowledge that this team, as it stands, is missing something. Lots of inconsistency this season. Giving up leads uh, to end up losing the game. These the, these are things that did not happen two, three years ago. While well, they were two, three years younger. Um, they didn't have, you know, they didn't been through the COVID. And, and look, if you remember 
the two teams that made it to the NHL semifinals under Barry, they struggled to get into the playoffs and they weren't uh, playing all that great, <laughs> you know, towards the end of the season. So, uh, you know, don't lose sight of that. Um, but the point is they did make it. Um, and I don't think uh, Lou or Lane are going to publicly acknowledge uh, the team is missing something. A, because you, you don't want that to play badly in the dressing room, and B, you, you don't want to appear weak and, and to be trading from a, uh, from a point of weakness uh, with other teams. Um, let's see, BG77 says, is there any possible scenario that Barzell could be moved? I guess not, uh, but Ice Capades is not getting it done. Um I, any if if the Islanders truly go through a giant rebuild, um, I think they could offer up Matthew Barzell. I think he would uh, he would want to go to a team that has a chance to win if this truly does turn south. Um, and look, uh, he's still he's still young enough at twenty five. If you trade him in the next two three years, you're going to get a lot for him, and it's his contract is tradable in that he doesn't have those trade protections. So I, I wouldn't call Matthew Barzell untradeable. Um, Mike Finnamore comes at it from a different point of view. Let's think about the unthinkable trade Ilya Sorokin for a massive haul and maybe tag along a crappy contract. Uh, the Islanders' coaching has worked wonders with middling goalies and picks and young players, and cap room is better then a top goalie with one year left on a deal with no picks going nowhere. <sighs> That's a hard one. I, I would have a hard time trading Ilya Sorokin, although, to be honest with you, I get your point. But I think the Islanders' best chance for turning it around in the future if they overhaul the roster is with Ilya Sorokin and net. Chris says, what's the Islanders' untouchable list for the deadline? Barzell, Dobson, Sorokin. Does it go beyond that? Um, maybe, uh, you know, Ryan Pulak has a, a no-trade clause. Uh, I, I would probably add him to the list. But, uh, you know, otherwise, no. I, I, I don't think I would, you know, not even any of their prospects, you know, like an Atu Ratu or anything like that. I, I would have any everything on the table. Uh, let's see, uh, Andre Messian, uh, Minasayan says, I think Lou's poor track record in free agency hurts him. In his devil's days, he was able to make impactful hockey trades because there was no cap and he had assets. He can't do that now because of the lack of assets. Uh, old core and cap, Lou is not the right GM anymore. Thoughts? Uh, look, uh, I... I you know the respect I have for Lou Lamarillo. Um, I, I've had it for a long time. Uh, I, I give him more credit, uh, certainly, than some of these questions and comments. Uh, that said, um, like I said, if, if, if it doesn't turn into a playoff season this season, uh, you know, I, 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 would not, I would not fault ownership for, at all for going a different direction. Um, John Givy says, when is the Anthony Beauvillier experiment going to end? When is Lou going to bring in someone who can score goals? Well, uh, as we've mentioned, uh, it better be soon. Uh, and uh, Anthony Beauvillier, look, you've got him on under your cap and under contract this season and next season. 
I don't, he doesn't have much trade value right now, so you're probably best riding him out and seeing if, uh, you know, how streaky he is, he is if he can turn it around. Um, Envy says, uh, if this is a team that thinks it's built for the playoffs, i.e. saving it for the big games, could some of their challenges be due to overestimating their own talent or by misjudging where and how to allocate their efforts during the regular season? And I, I think there's a hint of truth in here that they may have overestimated and certainly relied on a core. Um, they, they thought last season was, uh, you know, the, the the schedule and the COVID and, and, and all those hurdles. And, and they decided to give this group one last chance or, or one more chance or this chance. And uh, uh, you're going to be able to tell at the end of the year whether they overestimated their own talent. And uh, right now that's probably 50-50. Uh, Thomas Boyle says, uh, when Adam Pellick returns from injury, place Sebastian Ajo on waivers, also trade Scott Mayfield for whatever you can get for him. I mentioned this before. What would the Islanders have to give up to get Shane Gostas Bahir from Arizona? Shane, who could, you know, certainly pitch in on the power play, maybe up your production a little bit. Uh, I'm looking at Shane's contract right now, and he's on the last year of a six-year, $27 million deal. So he's got a cap hit of 4.5. I I do think the, the Coyotes, I mean, it would be crazy for the Coyotes not to trade him, uh, you know, if they're not going to sign him for an extension. And that's not the direction the Coyotes are going. He's been good this season. He's been up and down. I'd say get him as a, a, a play, you know, a, a playoff run rental. And that would be, and, and then be done with Shane Gostas here. Um, see if you could get him for, you know, a third round pick. Um, Arizona probably is going to push for higher than that. Maybe settle on a second round pick. Um, possibly a prospect, uh, not a, not a top prospect though. And then finally, Dico says, do we know what the projection plan looks like for getting the young forwards more NHL time? Like Ratu, uh, William DeFore, uh, Ishkahav, oh God, Ishkahav, I'm sorry about that. I, I got a real issue with that guy. Uh, no, I like him as a person, uh, Ruslan. I just can't pronounce his name. Uh, there, There is no uh, a projection plan. Look, Ratu had a, a shot in the NHL. Uh, I think they enjoyed what they saw from him, and now they want him to develop more as a top six uh, uh, forward and power play uh, personnel uh, uh, provider down at uh, Bridgeport. Um, not necessarily sure you'll see Ratu again back up in the NHL this season. I don't think you'll see either of those other two guys in the NHL this season, unless Lou completely tears it down and trades everyone and has to bring him up. But uh, Lou, uh, uh, Lou, I don't think is going to do that this season. That's more of an off-season thing. And look, thanks for all your questions and comments. Uh, I always enjoy the uh, uh, the input and the feedback. And uh, that's it for episode 152 of Island Ice. I am Andrew Gross of Newsday. You can find me on Twitter at A Gross Newsday. And you can find all of Newsday's Islanders content at newsday.com backslash Isles. We'll be back with another episode, uh, hopefully quickly, as we uh, see which way this breaks. And until then, happy hockey, everybody.